Good morning. How are you this morning? Not well? <laughs> I was at a uh, church one time and a gentleman pastor, he read a text. I found interesting it's in Psalms uh, 100, it's verse 4. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And I got to thinking about that text. And I'm thinking, how can I bless his name? So I carry this with me, and it's got all kinds of neat little apps on it. One of them is a Strong's Concordance. So I looked up that word, bless. And it was interesting because in the Hebrew, that word bless is, pro is pronounced ba, B-A-W-R-A-K, ba-rock, ba-rock. And as I was looking where that word was used, something else came up. It's in Job. It's the first chapter, and it's verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now you remember the story of Job. God is having a conversation with Satan, and God has brought Job before Satan, and he has said that this man follows me, this man honors me, and Satan said that if you will let me have him, he will curse you. Not just curse you, but curse you to your face. The word curse in Hebrew is Barak. It's the same word. Does that add a whole new element to studying your Bible? <laughs> you know, the Bible is a translation of the Greek and the Hebrew. And certainly it is a book that has been blessed by God. But they didn't always get it right. Not everything. So when you study God's word, do it prayerfully. And consider everything that's said and how it's said. And always keep in mind that it has been translated into English. And there are some things that are in English that they don't say in the Greek or the Hebrew. Um, you'll find a whole different level of, of um, spiritual appreciation for God's word. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have been brought here safely. We pray, Lord, that you will safely guide us through this message this morning and that you will give me your words, or at least they will hear your words. In your name we pray. Amen. Grace. The title, Grace 
it's overrated. That sounds a little scary, doesn't it? God's grace is overrated. Well, bear with me before you pass judgment. I haven't totally lost my mind. The scripture says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you, for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What do we know about grace? That's an interesting word, grace. As I study the Bible and I hear people talk about different interpretations, I find that over time that the meanings of words begin to change. Have you noticed that as you listen to people speak and how they define things? Is the concept of grace real? I have a cabinet shop there by my house. That's kind of what I do for a living is work with my hands. In the, I'm a cabinet maker more than anything. I do all kinds of construction, but that's what I've done most of my life. I was working in the shop one evening not too long ago, and uh, the compressor kicked on, and it made a funny noise. <clears throat> And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. And I walked over, and by the time I got over there close to it, it kicked off. And I looked at it. It didn't look like there was a thing wrong with it. So I went back to work, and it kicked on again. And the noise became louder and more obnoxious. And so it kicked off before I could get over there again. So uh, I was, what in the world is going on with this thing? Well, it kicked on again, and it got louder and more obnoxious. And again, before I could get over there, it went off. But nothing looked wrong. Everything looked like it was in good shape. There, I thought, well, maybe it vibrated over against something, and it's rattling. And But that wasn't the case. Well, finally, I thought, I can't be worried about it right now. And it kicked on again, and this time the noise got really loud and got really obnoxious, and parts began to fly everywhere, and it wouldn't shut off. And so I got over there and turned it off, and it had some aluminum, say that real fast, (laughs) aluminum bolts that went down into the head where where the pressure is pumped up and they had stripped out and what was happening was it would pump up and there was enough thread left on it by the time I got there it had stopped and it settled back down and you couldn't tell anything was wrong with it but this time it stripped out the last of the bolts and it just blew it everywhere the uh, the head not the tank itself but the head itself was shattered and in pieces and oil was running all over the place and and it was a mess. <laughs> now, in a cabinet shop, 
a compressor, compressed air is, is at least as important as electricity. Uh, you have nail guns and air guns and screw guns and, and um, edge banders and point-to-point -point machines and air rams and just all kinds of things and all of it runs on air. Or, or at least air has to be part of it. This is a fairly large compressor and it has died. <laughs> and it's a fairly expensive compressor. Well, I don't know if you've noticed lately, but the economy has not been the greatest. And I'm thinking, I don't have two or three thousand dollars to put into a compressor. And what I really need is a compressor that's about three thousand dollars, and I just don't have it. And uh, fortunately, I was working on a project where I had used uh, the equipment that needed a compressor that big. I have other compressors, but not big enough to run some of the equipment, but I was past that, so I could, I could continue on with what I was doing. <clears throat> and I was a little, I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit discouraged. And I said, Lord, I, I can't, I have this shop here. We've spent lots of money and invested a lot of time, and our, our future is in this but I don't have $3,000 to go buy another compressor. There's other things that are a little higher up on the, on the list of needs. <clears throat> I said, the only way I can do this is if you provide it. And the only way that will happen is if, is if I can find a really, really good deal on a compressor. And it has to be a deal. It can't be one of those things where I've gone in and I've, I've basically stuck it to somebody. You know what I mean? I hate to say it, but some of my Christian brothers are good about that. Oh, God really blessed. We were provided with this. No, you stole it. I, I, don't, want, I don't want that. I want a legitimate deal. I want a legitimate, you provided. Um, and I guess I'm a little, a, a little partial here because I've had... Some good Christian brothers do that to me. <laughs> um, there's some I've actually had to say, you know, God paid his bills. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I say, I, I, I wanted, if I was going to keep the shop going, I needed a compressor, and I didn't have the money, and the only way it was going to happen is if, if God stepped in. I didn't need it right then, but I was going to need one. I got to looking around and I found a place in Oklahoma City on Craigslist that, that had good used compressors. And I talked to the gentleman up there and told him what my needs were. And he said, yeah, I've got one here. It's, a, it's an old one. Compressors usually will last a long, long time. Why this one didn't, I can't tell you. But he said, yeah, he says, I've got one. And it was actually bigger than the one that I had. And uh, he said, uh, we put a brand new pump on it, brand spanking new, and it's an industrial heavy duty. It'll, it'll pump and hold more air. It'll maintain more air. And he says you can have it for nine hundred dollars. And he says, and I'll give you a hundred bucks for the one you got, just for the parts. Oh, praise the Lord! <laughs> I was so excited. I was working on a project in Tulsa at the time, and I said, uh, I'll. I'll come through and I'll pick it up. 
if uh, if it's you know if you'll hold it for me until tomorrow, he said sure. So I went and picked it up and brought it back and and I plugged it in. The one that I had was a uh, one that stood up about this tall. It was a uh, vertical. This one was a horizontal, which meant that the tank laid this way. Took up a lot more space, and I had to replumb all this in and rewire it and get it all in. And, and I was just so excited, and I, I hit the switch and turned it on, and it began to pump. Now, this is a big compressor, so it takes a while. When it got to about 40 pounds, it started going, And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> This one is not going to work either. I thought, Lord, what is going on? And, you know, the guy, he didn't have to honor it. it was, I bought it used. It's kind of like buying a used car. You get what you pay for. Anyway, I called him and I said, look, uh, the compressor has got a, got a crack in it. And I took a picture with my phone and I sent it to him. I said, this is not knew clearly it's an old crack he said he said you know i don't know what happened he says usually we pump all those things up and we test them before they ever leave we know they work um he said we'll bring it back and we'll see what we can do so praise the lord and uh, i took it back up there and he said he said i don't know what those guys were thinking there were bolts that weren't quite all the way in you know you could tell that somebody got sidetracked in the middle of putting this together but 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 anyway um he said well i'll tell you what he said i'll i'll, I'll take i'll i'll fix that he said don't worry about it he said, i'm going to take care of it he says i have another tank over here and it was a brand new tank off of a newer compressor it was less than a year old but that compressor had died kind of like mine did but the tank was good so so here he took this brand new pump and put it on this brand new tank. Now it still had the old motor, but those old motors, you know, there was nothing wrong with it. It just, it just put it all together. I took it back, hooked it up, and he said, I told him, I said, you know, I need a, uh, a regulator. I says, the one that I have I don't think is rated uh, for something this size. And he said, here, handed me one. He says, this is for your trouble. And that was $100. Actually, it was a little more than that. To, to regulate a great big compressor. Uh, praise the Lord. You know, I, I got a, about a $3,000 compressor, just not quite that much, for about 900 bucks by the time it was all said and done. I, I, I could, that was just amazing to me. So the, the, the concept of grace, for me, is very real. Very real. When asked to define grace, some will say unmerited favor. Have you ever heard that term? Unmerited favor. And I'm going to say that that appears to be man's definition. Because when I look at the word grace in Strong's, it uses the word favor. But I don't see unmerited anywhere. In fact, Strong's also uses the word worthy. Worthy. God sees us as worthy, even in our demented condition. 
We live in a society where we seem to be unhappy with ourselves, and we want to be someone else, or at least like someone else. If I were as smart as, or as rich as, or as good-looking as, and I didn't get any of those attributes, so if anyone has an excuse to whine, it's me. But Strong's uses another word to define grace. That word is acceptable. The text says, my grace is sufficient for you. My acceptance is all you need. This proclamation is permission for me to be me and for you to be you. And before you start hurling songbooks at me, let me explain. If I say, who am I? You say Rodney Phillips. But that's not who I am. That's just my address. That's where I reside. It's not who I am that's important. It's what I am. That's important. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image. So what I am is a child of God. And so are you. And every other person who walks this earth. He gave each of us distinct differences that separate us only in that We each have a different address, but we are not to be exclusive from one another. I think maybe religion might be the only entity that expects everyone to be alike, even though it will vehemently disagree. Have you ever run into that? You go to a church and everybody in that church listens to a certain kind of music, and anything else is not acceptable. Or maybe they dress a certain way, or they eat a certain way, or whatever the quirk may be. These differences, or God-given personality traits, determine our likes from our dislikes. And if left unchecked, Satan will use them against us. Think about that. Use your, use your mental teeth and chew on that for just a moment. These differences, or God-given personality traits, determine our likes from our dislikes. And if left unchecked, Satan will use them against us. I read an article recently and I have most of it here, and, I, and, and I'm going to read it to you, and there's a reason for that. Um, and I'll share that when I'm through with it. Vicki Beeching, a British singer and songwriter turned religious commentator, recently made the stunning revelation, explaining that she tried everything to escape same-sex attraction from begging God for relief to undergoing a humiliating and degrading exorcism. I'm gay. 
recently, recently revealing her long, lifelong secret. Beeching, who has led worship music in many North American churches, said that she believes God has been with her throughout her journey. I do not feel I left God in back there <clears throat> in, the in the evangelical church. I feel like he's become closer and closer. I feel I was in the desert making this decision, and he's been in the desert with me. That this is something he's led me towards, something I am supposed to do. The singer who recently left Christian music to work in TV went on to describe first being attracted to women at age 12 something she concealed for most of her life due to her conservative upbringing. Realizing that <clears throat> I was attracted to them was a horrible feeling. I was so embarrassed and ashamed, Beeching said, noting that it made her feel isolated. It became more and more of a struggle because I couldn't tell anyone. She went to a priest and confessed in hopes that she would be relieved of her same-sex attraction, but it did little to help her situation, leaving her feeling as though something was truly wrong with her. <clears throat> Beeching described absolutely breaking down in tears one night when she was just 13 years old. I felt like it was ripping me in half. I knew I couldn't carry on. I was trying to align the loving God I knew and believed in with this horrendous reality of what was going on inside me. I remember kneeling down and absolutely sobbing into the carpet. I said to God, you have to either take my life or take this attraction away because I cannot do both. Music became an outlet, though she continued to struggle in the, year, <clears throat> in the years to come. When she turned 23, Beeching, who is known for singing the popular worship song, Glory to God Forever, among others, moved to Nashville to begin her singing career, but the secret continued to plague her. But after her Christian singing career took off, she produced three albums and worked with some of the biggest names in faith-based music. Beeching reached a critical turning point in her journey. She was diagnosed with linear scoloderma morphia. I don't know if I said that right. <laughs> a disease in which soft tissue becomes scar-like, forcing her to go on chemotherapy, with doctors warning that internal stress may have sparked the illness. <clears throat> I'm looking at my arm with a chemotherapy needle hanging, uh, poking out. I looked at my life and thought, I have come to terms with who I am, she thought to herself, pledging to come out by the time she turned 35. 35 is half a life. I can't lose the other half. I've lost so much living as a shadow of a person. So at 35, Beeching, who said she has never been in a relationship, is coming out. There is someone that I like, she told uh, Gled Hill. I think coming out will give me the freedom to explore that. Now I feel I have given myself permission to do that. Despite believing that church teaching on sexuality is what caused her pain, she has no plans to leave the faith. She finishes her coming out with this statement. What Jesus taught was a radical message of welcome and inclusion and love. I feel certain God loves me just the way I am. And I am a huge, have a huge sense of calling to communicate that to young people. When I think of myself at 13 sobbing into that carpet, I just want to help everyone in that situation to not have to go through what I did, to show that instead you can be yourself, a person 
of integrity. This is when grace becomes overrated. But not by God, but by man. You can tell by the way the article is written, it is done so in such a way to garner as much sympathy as possible. Did you notice that? I'm 55. I guess it was about five years ago that I began to listen to things on radio and TV and things that I read and started learning how they are presented in such a way to help you form your opinions and your thoughts. Um, For instance, planned parenthood. What a horrendous, hideous thing that it is. But if you say it real pretty, it's okay. And people will buy it. Some of my brothers and sisters would cry foul and say, there is no such thing as cheap grace. Cheap grace. That's a term that I have a real issue with. Before we go down that path, consider this. I like chocolate. Is that a sin? No. But I like it a lot. And I eat too much, even though I try not to. In fact, there was a time that if I could figure out a way to take it intravenously, I might have tried. Is that a sin? Does sin lead to death? Well, of course it does. Is gluttony worse than homosexuality? A sin is a sin. I don't want to lose you here. So if, if I don't make the point in a way that you understand, you're welcome to ask me, what are you talking about? You won't offend me. My point here is not to condone sin of any kind, but to encourage you that we are all in this together. There is a post that I've seen on Facebook that says, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Have you ever heard that? That kind of put things into perspective for me. Several years ago, I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist. I left the church for about 18 years and came back and um, I, I, I was determined that my faith would be my own not tied to anything but just me and God was how it was going to be and a friend of mine he became a friend of mine was a pastor of the church and, and I, I am a person who, is, who has a real desire for evangelism and reaching out to people and I was talking to this pastor friend of mine, and he says, you need to go visit this other church, not too far from here, as a matter of fact. And I said, well, why? He says, you just need to go visit. He never would tell me why. 
<clears throat> and so finally one day, for whatever reason, I had some, I was in the area, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to go and visit this church. What anything special about it. It's an old building. Um, I got there just after Sabbath school, or about the time Sabbath school was going to be over, and there was actually a fairly large sanctuary, <clears throat> and there was probably a half a dozen people sitting on the front row having a Sabbath school class. So I go in and sit down, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, so, what is it that I'm supposed to be so impressed with? <clears throat> Sabbath school is over, and um, the doors burst open from other parts of the building, and, and that church is full of people. I mean, it is full of people. There must have been... 200 people in that congregation. And, and, and when you looked at kids, there were kids everywhere. In fact, that particular Sabbath, the church had so many kids that once a month they had a church in one of the classrooms just for kids. And when I say, oh, there's a lot of kids, I'm talking 50. There's a lot of kids. <clears throat> and if you looked around... The, the people were clearly from all walks of life. You look around and you see people who may have been lawyers or doctors. You look around and you see people who were, like me, construction workers. You look around and you see people who probably aren't doing very well, maybe struggling a little bit in life. You look around and you see people that looks like they may have just come out of a club. Some look like they may have just come out of a strip club. I'm not going to lie, there was a time when I visited a few of those. I've never seen so much makeup and jewelry. Most of it was on the girls, but <clears throat> there was a few men who were well-dressed. and But this church was full of people. And, and here was the thing that just absolutely blew my mind. Every single one of them seemed happy to be there. Smiling, greeting each other, shaking each other's hand. I don't care if it, looked, if it was the lawyer or the banker, he shook the hand of the person who looked like they were down on their luck. Everybody was happy to be there. And, and, and I'm ashamed to say this because it was a judgmental moment, but I was thinking in my mind, this preacher is preaching feel-good religion. And the preacher came out, and he started preaching. And I got to tell you that he, he was preaching things that I'm not sure I would say to this group. <laughs> And he didn't do it with condemnation. He did it with love and affection. And, and, and the people were sitting there soaking it up. And I'm thinking, wow, not a person. Wow. One man, I heard him drive up in his car, his truck actually, and it was very loud. And 
you could hear it inside the building. And when he came in, he, he just burst through the doors at, at the back of the church. And he walked all the way down the side. And he sat right there on the front pew. And the preacher preached on. And I'm going to tell you that I was kind of cringing a little bit because of some of the things that he was saying. And this guy on the front row got up and walked out. I thought, well, there's a first casualty. And he, and he was very loud. He went out the doors and you could hear him go out to his truck and <coughs> open the door and slam the door, but the truck didn't start. And pretty soon the back doors burst open again and he came right back down and sat down. He went to get his coat. He was cold. <laughs> it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. This church was full of people, people from all walks of life. After the service was over, <clears throat> out of all of these people, this pastor recognized that I was the visitor. And he came down and he shook my hand and, and um, told him that I was from Ardmore and, and, uh, and he knew my pastor friend. And, and this was what was amazing. I said, all right, preacher, give it up. He knew exactly what I was talking about. Exactly. And he said this. He says, several months ago, our church came together. And as a church, we voted to accept anybody who walked in that door, no matter what. Now, that's taking exception for those who may come to do nothing but disturb or, or upset the, the, the services that are going on. But he said, we took it upon ourselves that we were going to accept people like Jesus accepted people. You know, Jesus, he hung out with the prostitutes, the taxpayers, the homosexuals, the filthy. And he didn't just hang out with them, he healed them. He made them feel welcome. And I said, this, I said, this is amazing. I said, forgive me. How do... Why are they here? Did you have meetings? Did you advertise? Did you? He said they just started showing up. They just started showing up. I thought that was incredible. They just started showing up. The acceptance of God's grace is not the end of our Christian experience, it is the beginning. I think for us to accept God's grace, to expect God's grace, we have to share God's grace. How cheap is God's grace? Have you ever thought of that? Let's look at some text. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, is the world full of sin? You look around, isn't sin everywhere? 
grace abounded much more. Is there a shortage of grace? Romans 8:38 For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go back and look at verse 37. It says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. That's a text that Miss Breaching seems to have overlooked. You know, we live in a world that is perverted and sick, and we look at things that that the majority of people say is common and is okay. And clearly it leads to destruction of personal or family or, or, or whatever. In spite of all that, God still loves each one of us so much that he's willing to say, come on. He doesn't care what your situation is. He doesn't care where you are. He says, come on, I accept you. However, expect change. Expect change. If you're going to follow God, if you're going to accept his grace, accept the power that he has to change the things that are in your life that are so destructive. You, you can't have a change of circumstances if you don't have a change of attitude. You all know this text, John three sixteen and 17. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And actually, if you read several texts on, it continues to talk about Condemnation and how God wants to bring us out of that. Jesus did not come to the world to condemn us. Jesus did not come to this world to condemn us because if you have half a brain, you know you are already condemned. He didn't need to tell you. The evidence was already there. What Jesus came to do was show us the way out. That term, cheap grace. You know, the only time I've ever heard anybody really use that term is when they are uh, in judgment of somebody else. And you know, you know who suffers the most from people who, who use that term so willingly? Their children. Have you ever seen that happen? The Bible does give two scenarios where grace is withheld. The first is found in James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Everywhere I look, I see some little and some not so little evidences of God's grace from the air we breathe to the food we eat to the fact that we still have the freedom to worship today. I walked into the shop one morning and turned everything on and my compressor didn't come on. And I thought, oh no, this time I needed it. <laughs> it wouldn't come on for anything. No matter what I did, it would not come on. Now I'm not an electrician. I can muddle few, few, through a few things, so I took the starter apart and did all the things that you would do to try to figure out why it wouldn't work, and I didn't see anything. And it has a special capacitor and starting system on it, and, and that's beyond me. So I called a friend of mine, and I said, Claude, I am in real trouble. I said, I've got to have this compressor. It won't start. I can't figure out what it is. Would you come and look at it? And he says, man, I'm in the middle of something. I said, I said, I understand. I said, I'm just really in a pickle. He said, okay. So he came over and, and he tore it apart. And he couldn't find anything wrong with it. Nothing. Everything looked like it should. Nothing was burnt. Nothing was broke. There was no crispy wires. Everything looked exactly like it should. I have a TV in my shop since I pretty much work by myself anymore. I listen to the programs that we that we broadcast, and it also helps me to kind of keep up with what's going on with our local station if we have any problems. And I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about the Sabbath and how God had created the Sabbath. And this friend of mine, Claude, I had been telling him, he's a Christian fine man and I was telling him of the Sabbath and the things that we find so important about it. It, it, it may have been Mark Finley, I don't remember who it was, but, but they were giving a real powerful message, biblical message about the Sabbath and, and the importance of it and the blessings of it and, and, and how that, that it helps us, it doesn't hurt us, it doesn't take away from our time. He just did a powerful job, and this, this was on, and it was loud because I was on the other end of the shop, and my friend, and he had his brother with him, both were, were listening to it. I could tell because it seemed to make them uncomfortable. And the, the, the program ended, and about the time the program ended, they put everything back together, and they said, well, we don't know what's wrong with it. And I hit the button, and it started. I know what's wrong with it. You needed to hear something from someone besides me. <laughs> you know, there's another time when God's grace runs out, and it's in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And it's when everything in the whole world has come to a conclusion. Every single thing, every question has been answered. Every possibility of, of success has, has crashed. In fact, the whole world has come to an end the way we know it. 
And it says, and Michael shall stand up. And when Michael stands up, that's saying, okay, we're through. You've tried enough. It didn't work. If you don't see the evidence around you, that's just your tough luck. And that's when God's grace ends. And we all have the opportunity, even if we've never stepped into a church, and I've talked to many people, it actually amazes me who have stated that when they look around at the condition of the world today, they recognize that things aren't as they are supposed to be. Nothing makes sense. And that they need to be looking to a higher power. If you don't have enough sense to realize that life is not going to continue on on this earth, grace is not for you. Ooh, that sounded harsh, didn't it? But it's a sad fact. If you can't look around and recognize that this isn't going to last forever, if you're happy with where you're at, if you're happy with the things in your life, that means that the things that are going on in other parts of the world are okay with you. Grace is not for you. God is looking for people that have his character in that he wants somebody to care as much as he does. And as Christians, that is our calling, is to reach out to those around us. And sometimes we may have to bite our tongue, maybe shut one eye a little bit, and say, if you'd like something better, we'd like to share that with you. If you don't, I can't help you. But if we don't at least reach out, well, grace may not be for us either. That's what God has for us. He wants us to share him. He, he shared his son. So the least we can do is share what his son has done for us in our life. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful beyond words for the things that you have done for us that we don't even know about. It's amazing, Lord. I think of the things that have taken place, even decades ago in my life, that I recognize your hand in. You are such a gracious and loving and caring God, and we are so grateful for that. And Lord, I pray that somehow, some way, we can reflect that same experience to those around us that our churches may be full, that people are happy when they come in. They're glad to be there, not because they've achieved some sense of perfection, but that they understand that that's the only place that they can be to ever have an opportunity to know you. Give us wisdom, give us courage, give us understanding. Lord, watch over this church as it does its outreach in the community. And I pray, Lord, that people will search us out, and one day we'll see them here. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you this morning.